Hey there. Welcome to the Victory Cigar Podcast. My name is Connor and I am the host of this show. You are listening to episode number eight. You can expect a variety of discussions about sports here. The MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and NASCAR racing will be the focus of the show, but I will talk about just about anything that grabs my attention in the world of sports. So today we're going to talk about uh, the MLB postseason uh, and, and the first round, that wild card round. We're going to talk a little bit about NCAA football for the first time this year. NFL Week 5 recap is on deck, as well as discussions about the Charlotte Roval race in NASCAR and the playoff cut line into the round of eight. So uh, we'll get started right off the rip with the uh, MLB postseason, and uh, we're going to pull up our predictions from uh, the first round, for the wild card round, I should say, that um, we had. And so I picked last week, I picked the Jays to beat the Twins. The Twins beat the Jays 2 nothing. so I was wrong there. Twins moved on to play Houston in the ALDS. Uh, Texas and Tampa Bay, I chose the Rangers. The Rangers swept Tampa Bay, shocked them, held them to one run in two games. Uh, Texas... Went ahead and beat their ass and uh, moved on to the ALDS, where they are currently beating the ass of the Orioles. We'll see if that holds. They're up two to nothing. They won game two, eleven to eight. Um, game one, shoot, I'm not sure what the final score was there in game one. Let me see. Ah, here we go. Uh, game one, they won three to two, and then won eleven to eight, both in Baltimore. And they're coming back to Texas to try to finish off the ALDS. Uh, all you got to do is win three games in this series. It's a five-game series. So Texas up 2-0 there. I'm going to the game tonight. Hopefully they close it out when I'm there. Uh, the Twins and Astros are tied 1-1 in their series over in the ALDS. Um, so we didn't get to record this episode. Um, we didn't get to record this episode before this these series has started. Um, so that I didn't get to actually get predictions in beforehand. I got, I mean, I did my predictions last week, if you listen to the episode, and um, had, you know, my predictions for the whole thing, like who was going to go where. But um, uh, I was going to do it round by round as we were, you know, as, as things were busted and eliminated. Over in the NL, the Diamondbacks knocked off the Brewers. I believe I had the Brewers beating them. Uh, and Miami and Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia knocked off Miami. I believe I had Philadelphia winning that series. So uh, they swept both of them too. 2-0, 2-0, 2-0, 2-0, all the wild card rounds. Nobody played a game three um, in uh, the National League or American League. The Phillies and Braves are tied at one apiece right now. The Phillies dominated the Braves in game one, and they had a chance to take game two with Wheeler on the mound. And uh, the bullpen blew it for Philadelphia. Atlanta winning 5-4 on a wild double play to end the game as well on top of the ninth. The Dodgers are shockingly down 2-0 to the Diamondbacks. It's not impossible that the uh, Dodgers come back and win three straight games. Uh, not at all, of course. It's the same thing with the Orioles and the Rangers. The Orioles could absolutely do it. But the Dodgers and the Orioles alike face an uphill battle here as they will be playing those games on the road, at least the next two. And then they come back home for game five if they get that far. So the uh, Diamondbacks and Rangers have home field advantage for the rest of the series to try to get one game 
uh, out of the next three. Uh, so shockingly, uh, Kershaw showed us play playoff Kershaw again, uh, as we'd kind of forgotten that playoff Kershaw is terrible. Um, and, uh, you know, this bad rep that he has for his entire career of, of blowing games in the playoffs. He gave up, I believe, five runs in the first inning of the first game before he even recorded an out. Then he went on to pick up one out, give up another run, and was done after .1 innings pitched and gave up six runs. They lost that game 11-2. Arizona just putting the beat down on L.A. in that one. So we'll see. We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so I guess we can give our mid-round predictions, though, with, with these, though, and uh, to say who's going to pull it off, who's going who's gonna to advance, uh, even though we've already got a head start here on all this. But I think Texas, Texas is going to win one more game out of the next three. I'm not sure if it'll be tonight. I don't know if it'll be uh, tomorrow or back in Baltimore. But I, I think that up 2-0... And as strong as they've looked, uh, I think that they that they will be closing it out. I think that uh, I think Houston is going to beat the Twins. Um, I think that the Twins showed some life. They almost came back in Game One. They lost six to four. The difference maker being Jordan Alvarez. That was the difference maker. Jordan with uh, four RBIs, I believe, a three run homer in the second or third inning, and then another solo shot later in the game. They lost six to four. You know, they, they they don't give up that three run shot to Jordan. They win. Uh, it you know, um, they they showed some fight and came back uh, in that game. And uh, then they pretty handily won game two. Um, let's see what was the score in that one. Let me get that for you. They won game two. Uh, six to two, and uh, they play tonight in Minnesota at uh, four o'clock Eastern time uh, for everybody out there. So in in about uh, four hours from now, they'll uh, they'll be continuing that series uh, back in Minnesota. Minnesota took home field advantage away from Houston by winning one there. That that makes it a uh, three game series here now. Got to win two, and you got two of them at home and one on the road. So, Minnesota, Minnesota does have a good chance to to do this. The, in order for them to do this, they really have to steal. They have to win the game tonight. If they don't win the game tonight, uh, unless I'm unless I'm mistaken, if they don't win the game tonight, they would need to win tomorrow obviously to tie the series but going back to Houston I believe Verlander would be back on the mound and Verlander hasn't been as sharp as previous years this year he's starting to show his age but that's still not a matchup you want to take and so if they want to win this series they need to keep Justin Verlander off of the mound they had to face him in game one and they nearly pulled it off but you uh, you just don't want to face that guy twice in a series ask me how I know oh I'm a Yankees fan Right, God. So, the uh, the Twins have a legitimate shot, but it hinges on this game today. If they steal this one, if they steal this one, I'll put it this way: if they steal this one, I think they take the series. But I still, I still have Houston taking the series, regardless from this point right now. Um, and I have Texas taking the other series. Man, 
I'd say I find it hard to fathom Arizona losing the next three games, and and I I kind of do, but I kind of have this weird feeling that LA is taking that series. Uh, I have this weird feeling that LA is going to shove, and Arizona is an inexperienced playoff team, and LA is a much more experienced team. I have a feeling, despite losing the home field advantage, that the Dodgers are gonna are going to win three straight and come back in that series. Could be wrong. Maybe maybe the Dodgers are just lifeless and uh, that that it's over. But uh, I just have a strange feeling that they're gonna that they're gonna come back. And we'll see though. Uh, Philly and the Braves. Philly really had their chance to put a stranglehold on the series. I mean, they really did uh, in the in the game last night. They really ha- had a chance to um, to really take full control and have a hard time losing that series. Now Atlanta could easily win the next two games or two of the next three and uh, knock them off. So I, I still have Atlanta moving on uh, against Philly because uh, oh, Philly just really blew their their biggest chance last night in a, uh, a close one, five four, but uh, they. I think they had a 4-1 lead late in the game. Bullpen blew it. And you just can't do that in the playoffs, which is ultimately probably going to be the end of the Texas Rangers whenever their their run comes to an end because their bullpen is just horrendous. Um, So there you have it. That's who I have moving on to the AL and NLCS. Um, you know, we'll save the World Series for, for when that actually uh, comes, comes to fruition for what teams are there because, the, you know, Lord knows how this is going to shake out. But... That's what I got. That's what I got. Those are my thoughts on um, on uh, on everything going on over in the MLB uh, postseason right now. So, um, been uh, been an interesting one so far. There's already been um, people crying uh, from the Dodgers fan base, Orioles fan base, Braves fan base, even though they won yesterday. About uh, about oh well, it's not fair that we had to have five days off or something like. Yeah, man, and a one-game playoff for the wild card was fair. You know, right? That was fair. I, I'm very glad that, personally, I I don't think they should have ever expanded the wild card to begin with. I think that it, sh- it should have remained one team, and that team played the highest seed in the, in the DS, and then you went on. That's what I think. I don't think there should be a wild card round at all. Um but I am glad that if they were, you know, going to have a, a wild card round, I'm glad it's not a one game playoff anymore. You know, baseball is is too much of a game of unpredictability and and all this sort of stuff that uh I I just think I think one game is just not fair. I just I never thought that was fair. I thought it was all I always thought that was stupid to have one game determine your season, and especially when it's like a three seed team uh or something like you know that's a that's a division winner. Three seed is a division winner having to fight for their right to be in the postseason, like the real postseason, uh, in a one game playoff. That doesn't seem fair because obviously, like a like a, a three seed in either in the AL or NL is a division winner. That can be a team that wins ninety eight games, hundred games even, and they're having to fight for their right to be in the playoffs. I think that's pretty stupid. And uh, I think I still think it's stupid. That's what I'm saying. I think the wild card round is very dumb. I don't think it should exist at all. I think that uh, one, two, three division winners, one wild card. That's it. Um, but you know, if they're going to have this system, 
with the wild cards, I'm at least glad that that uh, they made it a uh, a three game playoff instead of one. I think that is far better, um, obviously, to do it that way than to than to have a one game playoff because it's just flat out ridiculous that a team that wins a hundred games or something goes and plays a one game playoff and loses because baseball is fluky by nature. You know, baseball's baseball's fluky by nature, and they go play a one-game playoff against a team that won 83 games, and the team that wins 83 games gets to move on. And I and I obviously I also think that that's usually a bad product too, because it takes away the stars. Because typically speaking, a, a team that wins 100 games versus a team that wins 83, the team that wins 100 games probably has more stars on it. Generally speaking, better players. And so you end up with a very mismatched. You can end up with a, in a very mismatched situation, right? In that, especially in that one game format where you have some team like, woohoo, we won 83 games and we beat the, we beat the three seed and uh, we're going on to play the Braves. And then they could just get slaughtered, right? And it's, it's just, it's bad product and it's, it, it's no fun, right? So, um, yeah, still not a fan of the wild card at all, but uh, shouldn't the the wild card round should not be a thing. But uh, glad it's a three game series, if if it's going to be a thing. So glad it's a three game series. Uh, that's going to wrap up my MLB discussion. That's about all I really have to say. Uh, we'll we're, we'll let more unfold, but we should get some more good October baseball moving forward. So the next thing is we're actually going to talk a little bit about uh, NCAA football this week. We haven't really talked about it because, honestly, the matchups have not really been that compelling up to this point. Um, we all know how college football kind of goes. Those first three, four, five weeks even are generally really soft matchups. Uh, not really anything that great in there because uh, it's kind of like a preseason for the uh, for the NCAA uh, football programs kind of like a preseason uh, to get warmed up. And then you get to week five and six, you start to get into some meat. You start to get into some matchups. And uh, we, of course, had the Red River, Red River rivalry, as they call it these days. They used to call it the Red River Shootout. I still call it the Red River Shootout. They said, no, shootout, no, we can't do that. You know, shut up, right? Red River Shootout. Uh, Oklahoma top Texas in this one with a late come from behind, uh, I think a minute and a half left, uh, one timeout or no timeouts. Uh, they came back, they scored a touchdown. Texas just folded. They had the lead. Texas drove down and took the lead on a field goal and uh, totally folded with a little over a minute to go and uh, gave up the touchdown to Oklahoma. So I was disappointed as a as a Longhorn supporter and uh, an OU hater, especially in the uh, Red River shootout. Uh, so Texas blew that one. They dropped their ranking down to nine as a result of the loss, I believe. Uh, Oklahoma moved up to five as a result of the win. But um, let's see what else. What else is really more interesting? Um, Alabama survived against Texas A and M. The the fact that Alabama is ranked eleventh is pretty criminal, if you ask me. They that's 11th after this week here, so that's their current ranking. They survived against Texas A&M 26-20. Uh, they, they, Alabama's just not Alabama this year, and um, <clears throat> the uh, 
the rankings have not reflected that. So oh, Alabama's still good. They're they're not that good. Uh, <clears throat> let's see other compelling matchups this week. Uh, Georgia blew out Kentucky fifty-one thirteen, uh, and after this week, Georgia uh, number one, Kentucky twenty-four. So uh, Kentucky must have been ranked higher before coming into this week. I'm not sure what they were, but yeah, Georgia blew the doors off of them. That's not entirely surprising. Uh, Louisville top Notre Dame, though. That was definitely for how strong out the gate Notre Dame looked and the high rankings they had. And then they lost. Notre Dame lost to Ohio State, and now they've lost to Louisville. Notre Dame down to 21 in these uh, in the rankings. Louisville up to 14. Um, <clears throat> outside that, not not that compelled. So there was, of course, the I think what we have to talk about for sure is the blunder in Miami. So if if, if you did not hear about that or did not see that, uh, Georgia Tech defeated Miami 23-20. to uh, Miami was ranked 17th, I believe, coming into the game. And Georgia Tech defeated Miami 23-20. So how'd that happen? Okay, well... Uh, Miami had a 20-17 to 17 lead with 35 seconds, clock running, play clock running down, 35 seconds left. So let's paint the picture here a little bit. It's 20-17 to 17 Miami. Third down and nine. Miami's ball uh, around, I want to say, in between 30, their own 30, 40-yard line, some, or no, Maybe on the other side of the field, around midfield. Anyway, that's not quite as important as uh, as what uh, as what transpired. So, uh, thirty five seconds, clock running. I think maybe three seconds on the play co- clock when the when the clock hit thirty five, with the clock moving. Uh, Georgia Tech out of timeouts. Miami. Well, what do you do if you're Miami? I, I just let me ask the audience this here, right here. Okay. What do you do if you're Miami right there? Anybody that knows football, right? What do you do? Third down and nine. Clock running. Other team has no timeouts. 35 seconds left. You have the lead. What do you do? That's right. Very good. You take a knee. Okay? You take a knee. Game over. It's Yeah, it's going to be fourth down, but the, the play clock is going to reset, and you're going to... Uh, you're going to run the clock out. They have no timeouts. They can't stop it. You just, you don't even, you don't even have to go. You take a knee and you start doing the handshakes. Game's over. Okay. That's it. Game's over. Well, Miami coach Mario Cristobal ran the football. Running play. Handoff to the running back. Up 20 to 17. 35 and ticking. And you can take a guess at what happened next. That's right. He fumbled the football. Georgia Tech took over with 25 seconds left and no timeouts after Miami fumbles in a spot that is so elementary that a a fifth grader playing peewee football would tell you that you take a knee. A guy being paid, Mario Cristobal, being paid millions of dollars to coach at a Division I program at Miami. Not just a Division I program, a storied, you know, perennial 
you know, Miami isn't the Miami of the Jimmy Johnson days of the in the 1980s. Um, but they or the I think early 2000s Miami had some dominant teams. But Miami, you know, Miami is is consistently a a program that is ready that somebody can take the reins and and make a powerhouse and a threat, right? It's a legit program. It is it is not a it's not one of the the sort of fringe D one schools or or whatever. This is a legit program, and this guy is being paid millions of dollars to coach this team. They're playing a two and three unranked opponent. And he makes the most elementary error that you, that you can make as as the head coach of a football team. That that the clock management always comes onto the head coach's shoulders, even if a head coach in football delegates most of his responsibilities for uh, defensive scheme and offensive play calling, all that stuff the main thing that still falls on the head coach's shoulders. I mean, obviously the losses fall on the head coach's shoulders uh, always. Cause you know, he's, he's the one who picked those coordinators and, and greenlit the schemes and all that stuff. But you know what I mean? That at the, at, at the very minimum, the guy that, that is, that, t- that takes respect, the main thing that he, has to take responsibility for that absolutely cannot be blamed on anybody else is clock management. And Miami's coach, Mario Cristobal, again, elementary mistake. Elementary. You take a knee. 35 seconds. Clock ticking. You take a knee and that's the thing is even even if even if there was 50 seconds right you you take a knee you know even if it was past what the play clock and all that stuff right you take a knee or an extremely safe run you know the two hands on the ball but honestly you take a knee okay because you'll punt it away with you know 10 seconds but the play clock start or the the game clock starts when you snap the ball on a punt right so even if you have to punt it with 10 seconds left when you snap it kick it hang time you know reception and all that stuff that's taken 5 6 seconds off the clock right there all that before they even before they even do that you you take a knee that's the point but and especially when you're under the 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 play clock timer you take a knee and and it's just it's so mind-boggling it's it's so mind-bogglingly stupid and bad uh to to do that to to screw up like that when you're in his position and and I'm I'm serious when I say uh I'm serious when I say that that's a fireable offense it really is. It's a fireable offense. When you are being paid that much money and and he, the head of such a prestigious program and everything, there are extra there are certain there are responsibilities that come along with that. You know, if if this is some division 3 coach that makes this mistake, whatever. But this happening on this stage at this level, 
it's a fireable offense. It really is. And I, I I still I still just I can't believe it. I'm in disbelief just thinking about it now, how stupid it is. I don't think that I've I don't I can't recall the last time I saw that happen. That that I saw a, a coach just make such a mind bogglingly stupid decision. Well, uh, except for Josh McDaniels and the Raiders, as I talked about, what was that, a couple of episodes ago from a couple weeks ago, down eight at the six-yard line and kicking a field goal to try to get the ball. That was that was also very stupid, but not quite as stupid as this. So uh, I wanted to talk about that uh, there in the Miami-Georgia Tech game. So Georgia Tech, what happens after that, right? so that we can we can move on from this. Well, Georgia Tech uh, has uh, 25 seconds to go 74 yards, and they do. The Miami defense collapses. They give up a big chunk play in the middle of the field. Uh, another solid play after that, I think, and then a 25, no, 35, 40-yard touchdown pass, 44-yard touchdown pass. Uh, as the clock expired, and uh, they lost. Georgia Tech walked them off. Uh, so not only did they just completely crumble, like they fumbled the football and made that just disgusting, awful, stupid decision, but they completely crumbled. 74 yards in 25 seconds. Just crumbled to the ground uh, and lost. Giving up 74 yards in 25 seconds. That's so insane. Uh, as well, so uh, the, just a complete collapse uh, from from top to bottom from the from the coaches and and everything there in Miami. Uh, I, I I would have been so livid as a fan, obviously. If I if I was a Miami fan, I'd be I'd have been livid, but I'd have been livid as a player. Anybody, the punter should have been livid about that. You know, anybody, everybody from the from all over that roster should have been just completely livid over that. Um. And uh, I sure hope that the coach went right into the locker room and said, that's my fault. And it, I, he probably did. I mean, he took responsibility for it in the, in the news conference saying, I made the wrong call, I take ownership, et cetera. But I sure hope he went back into that locker room and said, guys, I'm an idiot. I, I'm an idiot and I'm sorry. And it, honestly, anything sure, if, if he just went back there and said, I'm sorry, guys, my bad, that's my fault. That's not acceptable. He needed to walk in front of that team and say, guys, I'm stupid as all ever living hell. I am very, very dumb and stupid and a moron. And you guys should honestly throw eggs at me. I am stupid. My name, S-T-U-P-I-D, stupid, stupid man. I'm a stupid, 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 dumbass, dumb, 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 stupid man. Anything short of that is not acceptable to his players. Let me just go on record and say that. Yep. Anything short of saying, I'm a big, dumb, stupid, dumb, dumb, is not acceptable for what he said behind closed doors. He had to have said that. I would have needed a full embarrassment. Get him rolling around on the floor, sucking on his thumb like a baby, saying, I'm a big, dumb baby, as he spins around in circles. Nothing less than that would have been acceptable to me as a player. (laughs) Straight up. So, uh, moving on to our last story for uh, NCAA football. Uh, Colorado 
Dion, Coach Prime, Shadur, the next Jesus. Okay, yeah, uh-huh, right. Um, yeah, they escaped against a one-win Arizona State team by a field goal in the final minutes. Shadur going off, going around and showing off his $200,000 watch to the student section at ASU, uh, going, my dad's rich. Um, you know, that was real cool. Um, yeah, do I have to be any more graphic about what I think about Coach Prime, uh, Deion Sanders? Forget, I'm not calling that jackass Coach Prime. Deion Sanders, Coach Sanders, I'll call him that. That's the respect I'll give him, Coach Sanders. This Coach Prime crap, ugh, it disgusts me. Uh, Deion is, you know, sure, is it is it undeniable the, the hype and all that sort of stuff that he's brought into Colorado? Definitely. Right. And and that will help in the recruiting process. Uh, he's letting these guys be expressive and all that stuff. And it'll, it'll help in the recruiting process. Is Deion Sanders a good coach in terms of X's and O's scheme? Anything like that? No. Do not fool yourself into thinking otherwise. If you're out there and you're listening and you're you're all about Deion. Deion Sanders is not a good coach when it comes to scheme and X's and O's. He is a good coach at getting those guys to get out there and play hard. Good at recruiting them. Said the flash, all the all the all the stuff he's brought in. I won't take that away from him. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. I'll discredit Dion in other ways, but not there. Definitely is a good, uh, good motivator, good recruiter, and uh, you know he, he's just he's great at getting those those kids to play uh, for him and. That is certainly a valuable quality. Don't get me wrong on that, too. Uh, it's a very valuable quality to have in a coach. It is, it's it, dare I say, it's it's necessary. You you really do have to uh, get, you have to be endearing to your players. They have to want to win. They have to want to please you is what it comes down to. You know, they you have to have their respect, though, as well. And uh, I absolutely think you know he has those those guys as respect and and their ear and 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 they they do what he says uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to his abilities there Th- those abilities are top notch for Dion and I think the reason that he's very good at that is because he was a player himself he's always been very outspoken that man is not an introvert he is an extrovert to the max and uh, he he's always been very outspoken and very passionate uh, all the way back to his playing days. And that translates extremely well when it comes to coaching. Absolutely. He's been in their shoes. He automatically has that respect from them because he's been in their shoes. And they know it. So that's 100%. Those are the qualities that are definitely 10 out of 10 for Dion. Is the experience of being a player and the motivation, recruitment, all that stuff. Because he has that out of the gate. Uh, as a former player and, and as outspoken, flashy, all that that he is. Uh, those qualities of him are very good. X's and O's, though, he is as good as the offensive coordinator he hires and the defensive coordinator he hires. Plain and simple. For everybody saying, he got to go to the NFL. We need Dion in the NFL. He is as good as his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. Dion has nothing to do with scheme, nothing to do with the X's and O's. So... If a team can really work from that situation, you know, of just basically having a cheerleader with a headset on. All right. Sorry, I'm boiling it down. I'm very simplifying it. 
you know, that might be rude. But to simplify it as best as possible, Dion is a cheerleader with a headset. So if a team is able to deal with that, an NFL team or or another college program, whatever it is, right? I just I think the problem is is it doesn't work in the NFL. I think in the NFL, you a head coach has to bring something scheme wise to the table. You know, does every head coach in the NFL call all the offensive plays? No, but a lot of them do. Does every head coach in the NFL is it their defensive scheme? Is it is it their game plan? Their X's and O's on defense? No, but it's a lot of them. So and and the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators that they bring in are people who are like-minded, who understand the scheme, who are then brought in to supplement the scheme. Andy Reid, right? Like Andy Reid has an offensive coordinator. He had Eric Bieniemy these these last several years with Kansas City. They have a new one now. Um, and the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs is just because to use them as an example is uh, Steve Spagnolo. Okay, and the the offensive coordinator, I'm actually not sure who it is now after Bienemy is in Washington, I believe. But point is, Andy Reid is seen as like always having these very dynamic, amazing offenses that that come up with these really creative plays, lots of motion, and and uh, they're fast, and the and the way they play is very loose and fluid. He's always been that way. We're not just talking about the Chiefs, all the way back to to the Eagles and everything for Andy Reid too, years ago, because. That's Andy Reid's scheme, right? Andy Andy Reid, those plays they're running, he's been running a lot of those plays for a long time. And and his he is an offensive mind. Andy Reid is not a defensive mind. Andy Reid's team's the D coordinator, that's the D coordinator scheme. You know, that's that's what they're working with and they and he brings in somebody who he thinks is compatible with the personnel they have, etc. With the offensive coordinators under Andy Reid, they are people who are like-minded that kind of have the, they're on the same page. That's the best way to put it. They're on the same page of the playbook as Andy Reid. Uh, as far as, you know, he'll bring an offensive coordinator who also likes to draw up, uh, you know, a lot of these these motion plays, jet sweep type action, you know, a lot of, lot of movement behind the line of scrimmage, a lot of fluidity and speed and, and creativity that is the same, they're on the same page. You know, Andy Reid, whoever he brings in as an offensive coordinator, is that offensive coordinator is there to supplement. And they look over that those plays, all that stuff that Reid's got, and the same, the same, they share the same philosophy. So they look that over and go, yeah, yeah, okay, hey, Andy, how about this? What if we did this? And Andy goes, yeah, I like that. And Andy goes, I had an idea. What do you think about this? Right, and they're bouncing that off of each other. They're scheming, right? That's what a head coach does in the NFL. And, you know, then we could go to the other extreme. Bill Belichick is not an offensive scheme coach at all. The Patriots offense under Belichick all the way back through Brady, you know, for the last 20 years, 25 years, the Patriots offense was as good as the offensive coordinator for New England. And New England has pretty much never been seen, uh, even under Brady and everything. That's an annoying discussion that we could have another time about Brady and the goat and all this crap. But they've never really been seen as an offensive powerhouse team at all. Um, I'm sure they had some top offenses throughout those years and everything by points scored. But that doesn't necessarily take into consideration the the, um, 
how much of a powerhouse the offense is. It only takes into consideration how efficient the offense is. And those are actually two very different things. Um, when discussing, for example, which is the better offense? The one that starts at the 25? Uh, the one that gets 10 chances per game starting from the 25, right? I know I'm getting off on something. I'm going to tie this back to Dion. Just hold on. Let's say you get 10 shots from the 25-yard line with an offense. And they we're talking about from your own 25. You've got to go 75 yards, okay? And they cash in for points, touchdown or field goal, seven times out of those 10. I'm just I'm pulling total numbers out of my ass here just to make a point. Seven out of 10 times, they get away with points. Let's say 10 drives from the 25 uh, give them three or four touchdowns, three or four field goals, right? Out of those seven, right? Could be three touchdowns, four field goals, four touchdowns, three field goals. But they get points on seven out of 10, starting from 25. Okay, you got another offense, or you've got a, you got another team that is uh, ranked, that is tied with them for points per game or something, right? Uh, let's say they're tied with them at points per game, but their average starting field position is not from the 25-yard line. It's from the 45-yard line. That's their average starting field position, let's say. They start from the 45. They also score 7 out of 10 times from the 45. Same percent, same three touchdowns, four field goals, four field goals, three touchdowns, whatever, right? Or four touchdowns, three field goals. They, same points produced. Average starting position, massively different, right? So, that that's what I that's the point I guess I'm making about some of those Patriot years is that uh, even if they were a top ranked offense you kind of have to look there's there's even deeper context and what's that deeper context defense and special teams right punt returns kick returns uh, blocking field goals making those plays on on special teams setting teams setting teams up deep kicking the ball off deep, punting the ball off deep, pinning them inside the five, defense making a stand, kick the ball off, you start from the 45-yard line. Punt the, you know, punt the ball off uh, because they're punting out of their own end zone, you start at the 40, 45. Comes back to right what I was saying, right? So Belichick over in New England, for example, Belichick is a defensive coach. Now he is defensive scheme. The one thing, the one absolute constant over the 25 years of Belichick in New England uh, during the Brady tenure, post Brady tenure, whatever, tenure, whatever, is that the offense was up and down, even with the goat at the helm of the offense. Offense was up and down. Why? Because they were only as good as the coordinators. Okay, because the, the it was not head coach's scheme. It was whoever they had plugged in for for to work the offense, to work with the pieces that they had, and to work to the talents and the strengths of the players that they had on the offense. That's how you have to pair up that coordinator in there, right? The defense, though, has been a constant for New England. You look at the defensive numbers, 25 years under Belichick, they have been a top 10 defense. I, I don't have the, the number directly in front of me, but I know that they were a top 10 defense at least 15 times of that last 25 years. And I think that they have been a bottom 20 defense or a bottom 10 defense, like 20th or below, once in that time frame. So it basically at absolute worst, the Patriots defense is essentially has essentially been league average. 
at absolute worst, they've been middle-of-the-pack league average. And of course, having a league average defense is going to win you an above-average amount of games. Uh, that's that's for sure. And they've had a, they've had a league at their worst over 25 years. They've been a league average defense. But their average is certainly top 10 over the last 25 years. Certainly top 10. And that's been a constant. Belichick's a defensive-minded coach. That's a priority. And he brings in defensive coordinators who think like him. And they work together to craft these defenses, these concepts that work very well. Belichick is a brilliant defensive coach. Um, you know, and I say that uh, them coming off thirty-eight to three and thirty-four to nothing losses, uh, in the past two weeks, but uh, but he is. I mean, there, that goes deeper too. When your offense can't move the ball and your defense is on the field sixteen times instead of nine times, you know, it all plays in right. You're off, when your offense sucks, your defense is not going to be far behind it or it's going to have a hard time keeping up, let's put it that way. Uh, I explained that principle last week with the Jets, I believe, on uh, last week's episode. Anyway, tying this all back to Dion. Dion has no scheme. He has no X's and O's on offense or defense, period. None at all. Zero. That playbook, it's a ream of empty paper. That playbook may as well be a phone book. Numbers to defensive and offensive coordinators. That, that's what his playbook is. He has no scheme. Tying this back over to Dion here. Uh, people go, he should go to the NFL. No, 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 no. It would not work. I, I guarantee disaster. Disaster, disaster, disaster. Because he brings, he, like I said, he brings no scheme to the table. He, he brings no consistency to the table. Going back over to Andy Reid. Andy Reid, what's, what's a consistent, what's a constant for Andy Reid all the way back to Philadelphia? Top offenses. He had great offenses with uh, with Alex Smith. You know, this is young Alex Smith, of course, in his uh, in his days and everything. He ran great offenses with Alex Smith. You know, he 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 ran he ran great offenses with a bevy of players and and a rotating door of running backs and receivers and all sorts of stuff because his 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 you know his scheme is so nice, right? And that that's what makes the Chiefs so unfair is that you have this pairing of a brilliant offensive mind with a brilliant all-time talent at quarterback. I mean, and for all the people that are like, well, if Andy Reid leaves, then Mahomes will suck. That That's just not true. Mahomes is ridiculously talented uh, and, and is an all-time quarterback. He's, a, he's, a, he's already a top-five quarterback of all time. And uh, no question. From a talent perspective, it's no question. And um, you pair up those two together, and that's how you have special things. And I honestly think if Andy Reid did not have Patrick Mahomes, he probably would have retired after after getting a getting a Super Bowl there. If if he'd gotten to a Super Bowl and won one with Alex Smith, I think Andy Reid would be retired by now. I think he would. I think he would have rode off into the sunset at some point. He would have said, "You know, this ain't for me," or I, "Or I'm I'm kind of over it." But Andy Reid's sitting there going, "You know what? I basically have the goat at quarterback here." Um, and I've got, and Kelsey's a great player and stuff too. And, and, uh, I've got the goat at quarterback and, uh, I'm going to ride this train as long as I can because he sees rings on rings on rings in the future. The chiefs with Patrick Mahomes are a perennial super bowl threat. No matter who else is lining up on that team. You know, that's the difference that guy makes. That's how good he is. 
and um you know they they are a perennial threat year after year no matter what and reed knows that and reed knows that they're even better with him at the helm he knows that he that, that what his responsibilities are and and he knows he knows he can add a couple more he definitely knows that uh so you know i think he's going to keep going until he he really just can't do it anymore anyway um to using back to him using as an example he's a constant his offenses are constantly they're in the same realm as those belichick defenses i talked about um i don't even have to have the numbers up to know that andy reed's offenses produce points and they move the ball and they're dynamic and they're dangerous at any time <laughs> you know all these years uh between various coaching uh stops and uh, the way Belichick has had his defense uh, be a constant. So when Dion just doesn't bring that to the table, when he doesn't bring scheme to the table, all he brings is, um, you know, pats on the ass and, and high fives. That doesn't work in the NFL. Works in college. Don't work in the NFL. Or I should say it kind of works in college. Uh, it doesn't. It, it kind of works in college. It don't work in the NFL. So... Yeah, I, I, boy, yeah, I, I, that definitely annoyed me to see Shadur Sanders run over to the student section and flash his $100,000 watch or however expensive it is at them and, and be talking all that mess when they beat a one-win team by three points. Um, and, uh, you know, I will continue to look forward to the ass beatings they receive from actual programs, and uh, they deserve every ounce of of the mess that they get in return. Loved the energy that Oregon brought to them. Um, 100%. <laughs> Love that. Uh, all right. Let's see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, I think the next thing we're going to talk about is... Uh, we're going to go fully into the NFL conversation. Into week five of the NFL season. Uh, we had... Uh, had an interesting slate of games. We had our first set of bye weeks this week in uh, week five. So the first game from week five was the Bears and Commanders. The Bears, shockingly, after I spent all week or a couple weeks ago calling Justin Fields complete booty cheeks, uh, actually has played well the last couple of weeks, weirdly. I don't know what changed, but uh, uh, they still lost last week. But uh, this week, the Bears uh, beat the Commanders 40-20. to Granted, it's Washington, but uh, weirdly, Fields actually had a great game. I have absolutely no idea what changed, but um, he had a great game. Uh, do not expect that to continue, though. Uh, he's had two good weeks in a row. I fully expect him to be back to the normal, um, terrible Justin Fields here shortly. Uh, there's just way too big of a sample size at this point for that to be any different. Uh, so the Bears beat the Commanders 40-20. to 20. Uh, I have to pull up my picks here and see how we did this week. Last week, we were 12 for 16 on games. This week, there, are only, there were only 14 games uh, because there were four teams on bye. So last week I was 12 for 16 for a 75% correct percentage. See how we did here. I got him right here. I chose the commanders over the Bears. So right out of the gate, I was wrong. The Bears took that one 40 to 20. Uh, 
Sunday. The second game we had was Sunday morning in London. The Jaguars, their second game in London. Jaguars defeated the Bills. I had the Bills taking that one, 25-20 Jaguars. But as I recall, I do remember saying you know, something along the lines of like, the Jaguars have gotten to be there for longer. They've gotten a little more adjusted. They're a little more comfortable maybe than the Bears having or the Bills having to travel there to play the game so that I wouldn't be stunned if the Jaguars managed to kind of pull that one off. So I believe I said that. Um, so they did pull it off, though, 25-20. Both teams moved to 3-2 and two, uh, as a result of that one. I took the Texans over the Falcons and was once again wrong. Uh, 21-19, the Falcons bested the Texans on a last-second field goal. Uh, Falcons moved to 3-2, and two, Texans to 2-3. and three. Uh, So, man, I, out of the gate, I'm just doing terrible here. Uh, Lions did defeat the Panthers, though. That was my pick uh, for week uh, for the for that game in week five. Titans and Colts. I chose the Colts and was right. Colts come out with a victory 23-16 over the Titans. However, Anthony Richardson is going to be out for, I believe, a month with a shoulder injury. He just came back from that concussion and uh, is out once again with the shoulder. Giants and Dolphins. Took the Dolphins there. Wasn't wrong. 31-16. Giants are awful. Uh, Patriots and Saints. Uh, I took the Patriots in that one. I thought they might be able to bounce back at home against the Saints. Nope. Blown out. 34-0. Saints win. Uh, Wrong there for me. So I've already missed four picks here. Our percentage is going to be much worse than last week. Uh, Ravens and Steelers. I took the Ravens. And the Ravens led 10-3. Like, most of the game. And then I think late in the third quarter, the Steelers put together a couple of touchdowns. They won 17 to 10. It was a typical Raven Steelers game. Boring. Um, with the, with the 17 to 10, uh, uh, win for the, for the Steelers. Bengals Cardinals. I took the Bengals. I said they'd bounce back there. They did, or that they'd continue their, their bounce back. They did 34, 20. Uh, the big story being Jamar chase after the previous week's loss, uh, saying, you know, asking, what's the what's the problem with the offense, Jamar? And he says, uh, I need the ball. I'm I'm always open. Give me the ball, basically, right? So what'd they do? They got him the ball. Three touchdowns and 181 yards catching, I think, and 15 catches. So uh, I guess Jamar wasn't wrong. He is always open. 34-20, the Bengals take it over the Cardinals there. Right about that prediction, we had Eagles and Rams. The Eagles kind of hung on and survived there against the Rams, 23-14. Eagles took it home, five and zero. The Eagles move to now, and the Rams go to two and three. But they do have Cooper Cup back. Uh, the Rams have lost some close ones this year. I think if they can kind of piece together that get the offense really moving, uh, that Rams team might might end up being solid by the end of the year. Jets and Broncos. I took the Jets in this one. I remember saying, I don't know, it's a, the Broncos at home. I say, you know what? I'm taking the Jets. I said, I'm doing it. I'm taking the Jets. And the Jets won 31-21. Brees Hall had a great game. I think 170-something yards rushing. A couple of touchdowns. Uh, Zach Wilson played fine. Uh, I think he had 199 yards, uh, but the passing was efficient. Didn't do anything stupid with the ball. So, I mean, that that's the best the Jets can hope for out of Zach Wilson. Listen, if the Jets get 200 yards and on high completion percentage and no turnovers out of Zach Wilson for the rest of the year, they will finish the record the year with a positive record, 100%. The defense is that good that continue to, you know, if they continue to set up the offense with good field position and if 
if uh, Wilson just doesn't turn the ball over. If he doesn't turn the ball over and you run the football, you don't have to have Brees Hall run for 171 yards or whatever he did this year, this this week. But if you can, if you can move the football on the ground a little bit, and and Zach Wilson doesn't turn the ball over, that team will finish with a positive record even without Rodgers. Um, so you know Zach Wilson played solid again this week. Uh, the Chiefs topped the Vikings 27-20. That one wasn't quite as close as it looked. It was, uh, I think it was only, what was it, 13-3, something like that, in the by the third quarter, 13-10 maybe, and then the Chiefs kind of kicked it into gear a little bit, put a couple of touchdowns on the board, went up 27-13. to, to 13. Vikings scored a late one, but it was, uh, it was far too late for them to actually do anything with it. Uh, so it was right about that. I picked the Chiefs for that one. Cowboys 49ers. Oh boy, we'll talk about that one in a minute uh in depth, but uh the 49ers beating the hell out of the Cowboys 42 to 10. Uh I chose 49ers. Said, you know, uh 49ers all the way on that one and was not wrong. I chose Packers over the Raiders though here on Monday Night Football. The Raiders bested them 17-13. Jordan Love uh followed up. He said, "Man, I saw Dak do some some stuff there in prime time on Sunday. Let me let me copy that man, and he did. So the Raiders uh, beating the Packers seventeen uh, thirteen. I was wrong about that one. So it looks like we're gonna be. I got out of fourteen predictions, um, eight right, six wrong. Eight right, six wrong. So our percentage not so hot uh, this week. Let's see what that actually comes out to uh 57 percent on that one so did not do so hot this week on uh on those we had some uh some surprising results in a couple of the games i would say um back over to the cowboys 49ers game i promise not to go on too long about this i'm just going to break it down uh as i watch that game uh from start to finish going to kind of break it down quarter to quarter in the first three quarters are the ones that really matter. Um, out of the gate, uh, 49ers took the ball. Um, they Or they had the ball first, kicked off to them. They went right downfield, scored seven. And that was uh, very concerning if you're a Dallas fan because it was like, uh, this defense is supposed to be really good. What's going on here? They went right down, carved them up, easy seven. Okay. Um. Uh, the next drive, uh, Cowboys go three and out to start on their first drive. Uh, gained one yard, if I remember correctly. Uh, three and out. Uh, they they unable to move the ball right off the rip. The 49ers go right downfield. Um, or sorry, three, 49ers went three and out the, their second possession as well, I believe. Uh, then the Cowboys went another three and out after getting the ball back. Then 49ers' third possession led to another seven points. Went right downfield and scored another seven. Um, oh, that's right. Uh, the, the second Cowboys possession was the fumble. I'm sorry. Second Cowboys possession, we get a handoff to Tony Pollard because they were backed up way back in their own uh, end zone. Handoff to Pollard. He busted off for about seven, eight yards out to the left. Uh, gets the ball punched out around the sidelines, recovered by the 49ers, seven points on that one. So it's 14-0. Uh, 
Uh, Dallas gets the ball after that. And I believe Dallas then... I think Dallas went three and out again. And then San Francisco was driving downfield. And McCaffrey fumbled the ball at the two-yard line as he was going for the end zone. They were about to go up 21 nothing, uh, And instead, he fumbles. Cowboys get it. And the Cowboys go downfield and get seven. They score a touchdown. Uh, but again, Cowboys offense has not looked sharp. Defense has not looked sharp at this point at all. It's very concerning if you're a Dallas fan. Um, they go into the half. I believe San Francisco scores seven before the half. Goes into the half 21-7. to seven. Um, They get seven before the half. Go up, uh, go up 21-7. Uh, and at this point, Prescott has played like a deer in the headlights. What did I say last week? I said that he was going to, I I said that he was going to mess himself, if I remember correctly, something along those lines, on Sunday Night Football because in, in a big game because you can count on it. It's like it, you can count on it. it's death and taxes and Dak Prescott completely soiling himself on national television in a big game. Those are the three guarantees in life. And, um, you know, anybody that, that took the, the Cowboys in this game was is just flat out just does not know ball uh, if they thought Dallas had a chance coming into this game. Um, he, uh, he played a poor first half, uh, I believe under 100 passing yards at that point uh, in the first half of the game. Completion percentage, not good. Um, but hadn't turned the ball over yet. Dallas had with the fumble, but Dak hadn't. Okay, well, getting to the third quarter, uh, Dallas does not score on their their ensuing drive. Uh, they get the ball after half. Um, or no, maybe they got three because they fell 42-10. I think they might have got three on that first drive and made it 28-10. Yeah, or 21-10. Uh, and then San Francisco goes and gets seven more. They go ahead and make it twenty-eight to ten. Um, actually, I'm thinking here. Hold on. I just don't want to be wrong about this. I'm I'm checking the checking the box here a little bit. Um, fumble punt, touchdown punt. Okay, here we go. So third quarter. Yes, Dallas goes out and gets a field goal. Um, thirty-nine yard. They they went. Uh, from the 29, 39 yards, uh, three minutes, seven plays, 50-yard field goal. It was good. Uh, so then San Francisco gets another gets a touchdown. They go up 28-10. So it's looking real bad for Dallas now because they're about halfway through the third quarter at this point. Dallas gets the ball, pick up a first down. Uh, Dak throws a what I like to call what me and my dad sit there and watch the games – when Dak throws deep, there's about a 50-50 it's going to get picked, by the way, if you've never seen this before. If you don't watch Cowboy games every week, the thing is you sit there and go like, well, guys, got they got to go deep more than that. It can't be 50-50. He'd throw 50 interceptions a year. Uh, no, they just don't go deep very much, like deep, deep, right? Well, we call that, my dad and I call that the closing his eyes and chucking it because I swear that's what he does. Uh, 
and that's what he did on that one. He was looking for cooks because Dak's accuracy is just disgusting all over the field. Short, medium, deep, his accuracy is terrible. And don't give me these like, well, he's a great deep ball passer. These stats say so. Yeah, they do on play action, uh, on on friggin' flea flickers, on bootlegs, on all this stuff that's, that's you know, a high schooler should be able to complete the passes, right? I'm talking about dropping back, noticing that you've got a man deep and firing one in the in a tight window. Yeah, Dak can't do that. Um, you know, he, he gets it when the scheme has a guy wide open by 15 yards, uh, down the field and he, he drops it in there somewhere in the vicinity. Right. Uh, anyway, back to, uh, back to the, to the, to the cooks play. He, he chucked it and I, I said it, I, I said it, I'm sitting there with my dad and my brother were watching the game. My brother's Cowboys fan, me and my dad hate him. And I'm sitting there and, and he closes his, he closes his eyes and chucks it. And I go like, Oh, there's a chuck. Right. And it's going downfield. He overthrows Cooks by a clean 10 yards. And it's not even like this ball was open. Right. It, this, this, this play, this, this, it's not even like he was open. It's not even like he had separation. He didn't. He chucked it and threw it 10 yards too far. Not even close. And the safety that was playing back was like, well, that's the easiest interception I'm ever going to get. It was like fielding a punt. Just said, thank you. And, uh, well, what did San Francisco do with that? <clears throat> touchdown. <laughs> they took they took that one and scored a touchdown with it and uh, went ahead and made it 35-10, to 10, pretty much killing Dallas, putting them at the very end of... They, they, they were going to be completely out of contention there. Well... The next Dallas drive, what happens? Okay, we get a couple of plays, uh, incomplete pass, run for no gain, and here's Dak making a terrible read uh, to a, a, a guy on a slant route to his left who's just not open. Throws it to him, ball tipped up in the air, intercepted again. Make that two for Dak on back-to-back drives. This is still uh, this is the beginning of the fourth quarter now. I think this is right when the fourth quarter starts. So what does uh, San Francisco do with that touchdown? Touchdown. Uh, I'd also like to point out that starting once they went up 35-10, San Francisco put in uh, the backups on defense. They were on second string uh, by the time that uh, second and third string players by the time that uh, it was 35-10. So the second string picks off Prescott for the second time. Then um, they pick him off another time. So uh, what happens there? Touchdown, 42-10. to 10. Um, The defense just gave up on that play, too. It was a 26-yard run uh, to the left that the, the running back just, just ran right through the defense. They gave up. Looked like they had no heart. Uh, 42-10. Then, okay, they get the ball back. Prescott's out there again. It's 42-10. to 10. Let's go, Dak. Uh, what's he do? Okay, we got uh, started at the Dallas 25, ran four plays. Well, um, <clears throat> he threw another interception. Yeah, you're not going to believe it, but uh, he made another horrendous read on a short dump pass to his right that he just completely throws it into double coverage. I mean, there is a, there is a, a linebacker playing there that he should see. He just doesn't see him, throws it 
easy interception. At this point, San Francisco has brought in Sam Darnold and all of the backups on offense because uh, it's 42 to 10. This is the beginning of the fourth quarter, by the way, still. It's it's early in the fourth. So um, San Francisco basically put up 42 points on Dallas's defense in three quarters. And Dallas put up 10 points in in three quarters on uh, San Francisco's defense. Where have we heard that before? Anyway, uh, San Francisco, of course, then punts it uh, after just running the ball just on the ground. They didn't throw a single pass play for the rest of the game in the fourth quarter after that touchdown uh, that they uh, that they scored um, early in the fourth. Uh, or after the two touchdowns they scored early in the fourth. Uh, they, they were just all backups, and they just handed the ball off, not a single passing play. Uh, Dallas got the ball back, and at this point they had taken Dak out for Cooper Rush. They uh, they had to punt the ball. Uh, San Francisco then took the ball and uh, had a turnover on downs because they just straight up um, ran the ball all the times, just burning the clock off. Dallas just burned the clock off uh, on the last the last tower of many there, and uh, San Francisco takes a knee with ten seconds left to end the game. A forty two ten beatdown, a drubbing. Uh, of of the Cowboys, if you will, and if you haven't heard this, I encourage you to listen to it. Uh, so I won't I won't go on and on and on. Dak Prescott is fucking oh he's terrible, right? He is just bad. Um, the I encourage you to go listen to Dante Whitner. Uh, there's a clip you'll be able to find it on Twitter. Probably news articles written about it too. On the I think NBCSN post game coverage. Dante Whitner, uh, former player. I believe he played for the 49ers, so you know there, there, you could say that there's some bias there, perhaps. Uh, let me see, who did he play for? Yes, he played for the Bills, 49ers, Browns, and Redskins. Three-time pro bowler. He was a safety. Uh, solid player, Dante Whitner. He was on the postgame with, uh, uh, on NBCSN, I think it was, and... He uh, he was asked. He said, "What what was your takeaways from this game?" And he said, "He straight up he said Dak Prescott sucks," which is I was amazed. And the the guy that asked him the question was like, "Oh my god!" Literally, he he says that. He said, "Oh my god," when he said oh, he, Dak Prescott sucks, because I swear there has been a media memo. If you don't hate the Cowboys like I do, uh, then or don't fo- just don't follow them, don't watch the games as much, then you may not know this, but just. We're eight seasons deep into Dak's career. He has never played good. I, I don't care. Keep those stats in your pocket. Keep the cherry-picked crap in your pocket. The eye test says he's bad. The eye test says exactly what Dante Whitner goes on to say after saying Dak Prescott sucks. He says, I think that Dak Prescott is they're hiding his deficiencies on this team and that they have always been hiding these deficiencies with him. He says, I see a lot of short passes, a lot of easy passes for this guy and that they're, they're hiding him on offense. And he said, he called their defense all bark, no bite. Uh, And he, he, yeah, I mean about Prescott, he basically, he said the quiet part out loud that nobody in the media would say. Nobody in sports media would say this for all these years. 
They, they just refused to acknowledge what was right in front of their face, which is that Dak leads a West Coast offense. It was under Scott Linehan, under Kellen Moore, under and now under the play calling of Mike McCarthy. It's designed, I, but I've been saying this since the very beginning, it's, it's driven me insane for years, since 2016, to sit and watch these games and watch people go like, oh, he's pretty good. It's like he's standing back there, he's throwing screen passes, he's throwing... Uh, he's throwing running back screens, tight end screens, bootlegs, tight end bootlegs for six yards that he hopes that the it's it's basically call that man Yak Prescott yards after catch Prescott. You know, you sit there. Wow. Dak threw for 380. All right. Now pull up the Yak. Right. Pull up the Yak. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. He that man throws four yard completion, seven yard completion, six yard completion and is hoping their offense is designed around hoping that those guys run it for more yards after the catch. And it has been for eight years. And I've been saying it for eight years. I've been beating my head against the wall for eight years. And finally, the last two or three years, people started to notice. They went, this guy doesn't, he doesn't sit here and pick you up 28 in one play very much. Rare. And it's always on play action and, on uh, on these on these things where they fooled the defense and gotten a busted coverage for a wide open, but he doesn't he doesn't hit here and thread the needle and hit a guy on the sideline and and make good reads finding these guys late in play. He doesn't do that. He always takes a check down, throws a two yarder to the running back and and hopes for more. Throws a throws a a rollout bootleg to his right for the to the tight end for for five yards and hopes for more. And the amount of times that that happened over the years and and just nobody pointing it out and then to finally over the last two three years people sort of realize you know what i think this guy's a fraud i think he's not that good you know because it's fair it like it, it's it's easy for something like that to happen when the media props you up and says oh Dak prescott leading that powerful cowboy offense and you're a jaguars fan or you're a Patriots fan that plays in the AFC and you, you don't see the Cowboys very much and you don't really care about them and you don't watch them or whatever. And then you go to, to watch a game. They're in the playoffs or something and they're, they're in prime time and you do decide to watch a game and you go, what is this powerful offense? This guy throws checkdowns and screen passes. I don't understand. And hands the ball off. Like, huh? And then you sit there and you connect the dots and you go, man, there was a guy named... Um, something in New England that used to do that for 20 years. Weird. Anyway, um, they, you go, what? That this, this guy isn't that good. And finally, 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 people are starting to catch on that that man sucks at football. He is not, he is a fourth round quarterback. He's a fourth round quarterback. You didn't find John Elway in the fourth round. You didn't find Dan Marino in the fourth round. You found a fourth-round quarterback in the fourth round. And he's played like a fourth-round quarterback. I, I've said this before. In in his defense, the, the guy isn't the worst in the NFL or anything like that. There's quarterbacks worse. There's been plenty over the uh, over in, in the time that he's played in the NFL that are that are worse. But he's also not special. And I was so sick and tired of hearing that he was special. This guy's good. He's not. He's he's not. He's average. He's a game manager. He's 37-year-old Alex Smith that weighs 240 pounds. That's what he is. He's not good. 
He's not bad. He's not good. He's very average. But he looks awful when you put him up against a when you put him up against a good team. He's awful. And it's it's like unequivocal. He's just disgusting. But when you play the Texans, he'll go out and he'll he'll scrape a win out for you. When you go play the Jets with Zach Wilson, he'll go he'll he'll get a win for you when the defense, you know, gives him a million advantages to pick sixes and block field goals and uh incredible field position. He'll go he'll go get some points. Anyway. Um yeah, just to finish up the rant about Prescott, I think that was the ultimate exposing game for him, the expose of him. Uh, I think that was the I've been watching. I've watched most of the games with the Cowboys, and I hate him. <laughs> I'm a hater, professional hater, signing in. He, that was the worst game I've ever seen him play. That was the worst game I have ever seen him play. I've seen him play really bad. That was the worst one I've ever seen. That was really, really, really awful. And it was just quintessential Dak. Um, and something Cowboy fans don't also don't really realize is that ankle injury has definitely affected his efficiency because it has taken away the one thing that made it more difficult to like to, to that took away one of the positive aspects of him, which was that he was fairly mobile. He wasn't Lamar Jackson, uh, but he also wasn't, you know, Peyton Manning as far as the mobility goes. Obviously, right? He was he was a, he was mobile. He could use his legs, powerful body, all that stuff. He now is hesitant to use his legs, and there is a lot of explosiveness that's gone. It's gone. He just he doesn't take off like he used to. He doesn't reach the top speeds that he used to. And it, but more importantly, he doesn't take off like he used to. And that in, com- in combination with his hesitancy to take off, for good reason. I'm not knocking him for that. I'm not saying that makes him a scrub. It's totally fair, you know, with having suffered a terrible injury like he did. Um, he is hesitant and he's lost some explosiveness, which turns him into much more of a pocket passer. And you know what you have with Dak Prescott when he is a pocket passer strictly? You've got a really bad quarterback. You've got an average one when he can use his legs. When he can't, you got a bad one. So, anyway, I think that's something the Cowboy fans have not really noticed yet. They'll start to talk about it and notice it as the year goes on. I guarantee it. Mark these words. Mark it down. Mark it down. Podcast episode number eight. Mark it down. Anyway, uh, yeah, I didn't go on too long there. I think we spent 15 minutes on Dallas, which is uh, about an hour and 50 minutes less than Skip Bayless is going to spend on it today. Uh, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to make those points um, about him. So, uh, you know, Dallas getting embarrassed there. Dallas is is fraudulent uh, as usual. Uh, they're not actually that good. Also, this whole like Mike McCarthy play calling thing has looked terrible. Their offense has not been very good. I don't care about the forty points against the Giants. I don't care about the the thirty eight against the the Patriots. I don't care about that. That was all defense and special teams uh, setting them up in in uh, prime positions for that. Uh, defense and special teams uh, is what has set up those points. Just like we talked about earlier, when I was talking about you know the context matters. Okay. Uh, McCarthy's play calling has been terrible. And uh, as I was saying 
uh, I think after the Jets game when I said that uh, uh, what was really striking was was how every pass was really super. It's it's like we're, what I talked about with what Dante Whitner said again. If you didn't haven't haven't heard what he said, it's just like thirty seconds, and he sums up Prescott saying the quiet part out loud that nobody has been willing to say for eight years. Uh, that uh, go look that up on Twitter or, or look for an article. Uh, Dante D O N T E uh, Dante and uh, Whitner W H I T N E R. Anyway, um, uh. Dallas, uh, Dallas getting blown out there. They're fraudulent. Uh, let's go ahead and make our picks for next week. Go ahead and make our picks for next week. So, on Thursday, we have a, I will say, a more solid matchup on Thursday. It is the Chiefs and, and uh, Broncos. Now, the Chiefs should win this one handily. Uh, and the only reason I say it's more solid is because we actually have like a watchable team on Thursday. You know, the 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 Bears and Commanders was ugh, right. Like, who wants to watch that? You know, like the, a bunch of these Thursday games have been terrible, but at least the Chiefs are fun to watch. Uh, Chiefs Broncos, uh, we're taking the Chiefs there. That's a that's a pretty easy pick. Uh, Ravens Titans. In Tennessee, I think the I think the Ravens get back on track after that that loss to the Steelers. I think they're going to beat the Titans. Uh, Commanders Falcons. I'm going Commanders on this one. I'm going Commanders on that one. That one's in Atlanta. Vikings Bears. Again, I'm going to read them the away team first and the home team second. Uh, Vikings Bears. Um. God, Vikings are so difficult to. So difficult to figure out. Um, man, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the Vikings there. I'm gonna say the Bears kind of come back down to earth. I'm taking the Vikings. Uh, Seahawks, Bengals, in Cincinnati. I'm gonna say the Bengals continue to to play good. Uh, I think they're gonna take that one. Um. The 49ers and the Browns. Uh, 49ers, I think they're going to go ahead and move to 6-0. and uh, The Saints and Texans in Houston. Taking the Saints. Taking the Saints. Colts, Jaguars, taking the Jags. Uh, in that one, they're at home. Colts are going to have Minshew, and Minshew hasn't played terrible or anything, but I think at home, Jaguars, back in home sweet home in Jacksonville, Florida, are going to uh, are going to beat the Colts there. Panthers, Dolphins, that's Dolphins. Dolphins looking real good right now. Uh, and obviously the Panthers are terrible, so that's a no-brainer. Patriots, Raiders, good Lord, that's what a nasty matchup that is. I'm going to take New England. Am I though? Screw it. I'm taking the Raiders. Actually, my my logic that's like a fifty fifth. That's a coin toss game because the logic is Jimmy G sucks, Mac Jones sucks, uh, Patriots defense is good but has been bad the last two weeks. Right? Uh, it's in Vegas. 
I'm going to give the nod to the Raiders on that one. Uh, Lions, Buccaneers uh, taking... Ooh, that's an interesting one. That's in Tampa, huh? I'm taking the Bucks. I'm going Buccaneers on that one. I'm going to say Baker off week is beating, beating Goff and the Lions here. Cardinals, Rams. I'm taking the Rams on that one. That's in LA. Eagles, Jets. You know what? I'm going to do something crazy here. I'm saying the Jets are going to win that game. You heard it. You heard me. I could be wrong. The, you know, I probably will be. Eagles might walk in there and blow them out. 35-10. Okay. But I have, I just had a weird feeling yesterday when I saw that the Jets were playing the Eagles. The, the Eagles were going to be coming to, to New Jersey to play the Jets. And I was like, you know, and the Eagles, all this momentum, they're 5-0. and oh. I think the Jets are going to beat them. I think they're going to shock everybody and they're going to give them a loss. So I'm taking the Jets. Uh, Giants, Bills, taking the Bills. Giants are awful. Daniel Jones' neck is falling apart. Cowboys, Chargers on Monday Night Football. I'm taking the Chargers. That's in San Diego. Uh, I think Kellen Moore is going to get his revenge against Dallas as the offensive coordinator of the Chargers. However, Brandon Staley is a total moron of a head coach. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, this is really going to be who's stupider, Mike McCarthy or Brandon Staley, and that's a hell of Staley, and that's a hell of a uh, stupidest competition right there. They're both very stupid. Uh, but I'm going to take the Chargers there. Steelers and Packers are on bye. They are not playing this week. So not we only have uh, 15. We have 15 games this week. Instead of 14, there's only two teams on the bye week this week. Uh, so we'll see how those picks turn out. See how right or wrong that I end up being next week. All right. Uh, moving on to our last segment here. Uh, to just briefly talk about the NASCAR race at the Charlotte Roval and the Cup Series standings with the uh, elimination round happening, uh, them moving down into the round of eight after the Charlotte Roval. Uh, so A.J. Allmendinger won the race for College Racing. A.J. Allmendinger, of course, a known road course ringer, road course racer, uh, who has been running in the Cup Series on and off for about the last 15 years. And... Uh, Allmendinger, that was his fourth career victory. Uh, most of them have been at road courses. I think he's won one at an oval, but I'm just not sure where it was. Uh, he, I guess we can look that up. AJ Allmendinger wins. Let's see. He, because he's won races in the Xfinity series as well. He's got hey, give me the career snapshot. There we go. Oh no, he's only got three wins. According to this, unless they haven't updated it. Hold on. Wins, 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 wins. Yeah, he's got three wins. They're all on road courses. Never mind. He's never won on an oval. Uh, so he's got three career wins on road courses. He's won at Watkins Glen. He's won at the Roval and he's won at the Indy road course. Uh, they will of course not be driving the Indy road course anymore. Uh, next year they're going back to the Indy oval, which is what they should do. Uh, but Almendinger's always been a great road course racer. He's always, he's always up there competing for the win when they've gone to road courses over the last 15 years. Um, and 
uh, just never much of an oval driver. Uh, at the same time, though, he really has never driven great cars either. Uh, he's never been on a good team. Uh, he was on Roger Penske's team for like half of a season, uh, like back in 2010, uh, something like that. Uh, he was in the 22 car, but he got suspended for testing positive for amphetamines uh, in the NASCAR drug program. And uh, he did the, he completed the road to recovery program and was reinstated into the sport, obviously. Uh, he claims uh, that he took Adderall uh, because Adderall is a banned substance. He claims he took Adderall without knowing it. He thought it was an energy pill um, and it was Adderall. He was told it was an energy pill. It was Adderall. I, you know, obviously I don't think he was like a drug abuser or anything like that. He just, he popped on that for the amphetamines. And so he got suspended and released from his contract from, from uh, Penske. So that was the only shot he ever had in a good car. And that was kind of before Penske got as good as they were uh, as well. So you never know. Almendinger might have, if, if he'd been able to stay with Penske, you know, maybe, maybe better things happen, but, um, um, He's never really driven for anybody good. He drove for Red Bull Racing. He drove for Richard Petty. Uh, he's he's with colleague here. He's been in and out of the car and all that stuff. So, uh, but he's a great road course racer and and he won the race. So you know, good for him. Uh, he was very emotional, crying in the car and and crying in his post race interview and and everything as he should. He's forty one years old and it's only his third Cup Series victory and and uh, ran a great race. Had a fast race car and he ran a great race. Uh, William Byron finished second, and Kyle Busch finishing third. Ty Gibbs fourth. Joey Logano, Tyler Reddick, Chris Busher, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, and Ross Chastain rounded out the top ten. Um, yeah, Chase Elliott would have won this race as well uh, had Corey LaJoy not been a moron again. So Corey LaJoy, being a complete idiot, strikes once again two weeks in a row. Um, so Corey LaJoy with two laps to go in stage two. Uh, Chase Elliott had the lead, had a very strong car up towards the front. I mean, just had a very strong car in general, but especially up towards the front, it was running really well. Uh, he passed Christopher Bell organically, caught him and passed him, took the lead, led for a while. And their strategy was they were going to come in with two to go to the stage so that they would be spit back out after people pit uh, at the end of the stage and everything. They would be they would basically reassume the lead uh, after the pit stops in uh, stage three in the final stage. Uh, but right as he is... I mean, literally 30 yards from the pit line um, coming in. Corey LaJoy gets into Josh Balicki coming off of uh, coming out of pit road, racing him aggressively off of pit road. Uh, he they get, they make contact and spin out and bring out the caution when Elliot is 20, 30 yards from the from the, the pit entrance. Uh, so, of course, Chase Elliott fans not happy about that. Uh, because it messed up his strategy. Because then um, the stage ended under yellow. He had to pit with everybody else. It put him back in like 26th, but he did drive the car back up to 9th. Uh, so he had a great car, and he 100% uh, uh, would have been a contender at the end there to win that race. But definitely a top three finish if Corey LaJoy was not once again our moron of the week uh, in uh, the Cup Series. Honestly, we should just call it the Corey LaJoy Award. You know what? I am. Corey LaJoy wins the Corey LaJoy Award for this week. Going to start handing those out after every race. Wins the Corey LaJoy Award. Um, 
So he's our uh, Corey LaJoy, our Corey LaJoy winner of the week. And um, we had eliminations. We had eliminations. So uh, last week I uh, I discussed uh, who the 12 were. Uh, we had Reddick coming in under the cut line, uh, Chastain, Wallace, and Bush under the cut line, uh, leaving the Roval. The, the guys eliminated are Keselowski, Chastain, Wallace, and Bush. So I believe that I said something along the lines of that I believed that Reddick was going to make it, that somebody else was going to be eliminated and Reddick would be the one to make it. That was right. Uh, Reddick made it. Uh, Keselowski, Chastain, Bubba, Kyle, all out. Um, and I, if, uh, if you listened to last week's episode as well, I said that Kyle Busch would be a contender in this race that you could not count him out and that he would be going for the win here and that, that you know, that, that would he'd be a strong player. And he was. He led for a little bit and he fought with Almondinger and he just didn't quite have enough at the end. But he was driving very aggressively and he, he, he had a fast car, finished third. It just wasn't enough to overcome uh, the issue he had at Texas, losing a wheel. And the issue... Um, he had at Talladega, he had some damage, something happened, and and he only managed to scrape out a 20th place finish. You know, if Kyle Busch uh, scrapes up uh, a better finish at Talladega, he gets a top 10 in there, then, he, you know, he, he might have had a shot for advancement uh, or a better shot with his third place finish here, but didn't happen. So Kyle Busch out after three wins this year with uh, Richard Childress Racing and uh, Joey Logano. Kevin Harvick, Stenhouse Jr., Michael McDowell, all already out in the previous round as well. So we are now left with Byron leading the points into the round of eight, Truex Jr. in second, Hamlin in third, Kyle Larson in fourth, Chris Buescher in fifth, Christopher Bell in sixth, Tyler Reddick in seventh, Ryan Blaney in eighth. All of these guys are capable of moving on to the next round. They all are, um, Definitely, and they're all capable of winning over the next few weeks. Uh, they they've got strong cars and great drivers, and uh, you know, going back, taking a little victory lap on Bubba Wallace here too. Uh, Wallace needed a ridiculously good points day uh, or a win at the Roval really to move on uh, with the position that he was in, and he didn't get it. He qualified third, I think, um, with Reddick qualifying up there too, second, first or second his teammate uh Bubba stayed out all stage and stage one got the stage points for finishing second was shuffled to the back and was never seen again uh could not drive the car forward uh and finished in 18th and I, I somewhere not great let me take a look 16th uh he drove uh he, he was he got thrown into the back and uh yeah was never seen again um and let's see, he, uh, yeah, he didn't even come close. He, he is currently 11th in the points. Um, I believe that they can move up and down in the points from anybody that's eliminated. So in theory, Bubba could finish as high as fifth in the points by the time the season is over, but he could finish as low as 16th as well. Um, because he's moved back into regular points totaling. And... Uh, yeah, he just, he got, he got spun late in the race, but that really wouldn't have changed anything. He was, um, he was destined to be, to be cut here, uh, and he knew it. 
he he knew he was dead meat uh, going into this uh, going into this race. And uh, you know, goodbye, Bubba. I'm tired of hearing about you. If I can just have a month off to end the season from hearing about you and listen to you bitch and moan and whine and cry and all this other crap and and everything, that would be great. Thank you. Uh, so moving into that round of eight, though, we have uh, Las Vegas coming up. Um, on the schedule, let's see. We got uh, we got Las Vegas coming up, then Homestead, Miami, and Martinsville. That's the round of eight. The Martinsville is the cut race. We of course saw the Hail Melon last year, and uh, the Cup Series Championship will be raced at Phoenix on uh, Sunday, November fifth. So we there is less than a month left in the Cup season. Uh, we got the Vegas uh, Vegas race, uh, Miami race, Martinsville race. Uh, should be should be some interesting storylines. We're gonna just need need to see some big runs out of uh, out of those playoff drivers if they want to advance. Because the the guys that are looking the strongest right now are most certainly Byron, uh, Byron and Hamlin and Larson, uh, and and really specifically Byron and Hamlin. Those are kind of the top two. Those are the S tier drivers right now uh, in the way that their cars are performing and their their finishing races. Then you have your A-tier drivers of like uh, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell. Uh, they're they're running right in there. Um, or uh, they're running high tier. Obviously, everybody still has a chance, and they're still running very well. But those are your those are kind of your cream of the crops uh, up there. So Truex Jr. second in there, despite he has just run horrible this playoffs. Uh, he has not run good, but he's got all these bonus points and things and these uh, that are helping prop him up higher in the standings into each round because he won the regular season championship and everything. So he, uh, he's, uh, he's staying alive. Truex is, um, but yeah, Byron and Hamlin are, are most certainly the one and two favorites, uh, for, for the championship. They're running very well every week. Uh, Hamlin did have a problem at the Roval here. He had something break and spun out and, and got wrecked and finished last, but, uh, he was already locked in on points uh, by about midway through the race, so he was he was fine. Um, yeah, I mean, moving into the next round, I I would say that those four that I mentioned are probably my picks to move on. Those four that I mentioned are probably my ones that are going to be in the championship four. I'm thinking Byron, Hamlin, Larson, Bell. That's my that's uh, those are my picks. Byron, Hamlin, Larson, Bell. I think that's who's getting in to the final four. So I think we'll see uh, two Chevys, two Toyotas make it. I think the Fords will not make it. There are two Fords uh, still remaining, Blaney and Busher. Uh, but I just, I just don't think Christopher Busher's had a great season. But I just don't think he's going to be able to put together the runs that he's going to need to surpass uh, and get into that top four. And same goes for Blaney. I just don't think he's going to be able to put together those runs. Because Blaney has only has got two wins this year. Let's see where they came. He came, he won at Talladega. Where else did he win this year? He won at Charlotte. He won at Charlotte. He won the Coke 600. That's right. Yeah, he won the Coke 600 and he won uh, at Talladega. But they just have not shown great speed this year. Uh, anywhere. <laughs> the 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 Penske team has not I mean those are the only two wins for Penske and he's got three cars in the field running every week and uh you know Joey Logano won no races this year oh no sorry he won one race he won in Atlanta I think that was oh no that wasn't the rain shortened one my I'm sorry 
brain short and one was later in the year. I think Byron won that one. Uh, so I'm sorry. Uh, Penske has won three races this year with three cars in the field. Um, and that is very abnormal. The, the Penske team has just not been good very this year. They've just not been very good this year. And, um, so I just, I just don't think, I think he's going to run out of gas to use a, a, uh, what do we even call that? Use a pun. I think he's going to run out of gas trying to get into the top four here. Um, yeah, and then we'll we'll talk more about that. We'll we'll go week to week as we do. So I think we're going to go ahead and end this episode here. Uh, this is a good spot. Uh, I want to say thank you to you, the listener, if you made it to this point of the show. Uh, thank you for listening. We talked about the MLB postseason. We talked a little NCAA football, a little Deion Sanders. We talked uh, NFL uh, week five. We talked Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, that bum. Uh, we talked uh, the Roval and the playoff cut in NASCAR. So I uh, appreciate you if you've made it to this part of the podcast episode. Uh, please drop a follow on the Twitter. Sorry, x.com slash at Victory Cigar Pod. At Victory Cigar Pod on Twitter, X. And uh, be sure to share your thoughts and opinions on this week's episode with me. I'd love to hear them. And um, uh, just tune in. Stay tuned to the uh, Twitter page and to, uh, of course, the Spotify and Apple podcast pages for the podcast to uh, get notified as to when new episodes release. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, I'll see you next week for week six in the NFL and another round of postseason uh, MLB action and some more NCAA and some more NASCAR and probably a little NHL because that's coming up on us real fast. Um, Thank you for listening. Victory Cigar Pod on X.